Thank you for visiting the openword.org, where you can find a verse-by-verse exposition of almost the entire Holy Bible and other theological resources. Welcome to the next part of the series from Alan Schaefer. Let's go ahead and get started in Acts 16. Acts 16 is what on the chapter summary? Nobody look. Acts 16 is what on the chapter summary? Don't look. It's probably about Paul going to Philippian jailer. You sure? Yeah. I read that today and I was like... Mm-hmm. The last half of the chapter. Oh, you didn't say that. No. That's 17. That's 17. That's unknown. Maybe could have listed them for you backwards. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, how far do we get on the test? 13 and 14. Yeah, that's as far as it goes. It's through 13 and 14, and definitely know those chapter summaries. Definitely. No, you have to recount them. Right. Essay. Essay. Yeah. So in verse uh, in chapter 16, we have Paul who goes to Lystra, and there he meets Timothy. Timothy, again, we've already said, is Paul's replacement, Paul's true son in the faith. He becomes Paul's replacement, by the way. And Timothy is a very important character in the New Testament. He's with Paul on writing of many of his books. You know, say Paul and Timothy to the church of whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul. No. Silas replaces Barnabas on this missionary journey. But Timothy, later on in time, when Paul's about ready to die, remember Second Timothy, he's basically passing the baton off to Timothy. All right. Paul wanted to have him go on with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. Why did they circumcise Timothy? Because his mom was. I thought Paul was against that. Yeah. Well, he just did that just because yeah. they wanted him. Yeah. So want respect the culture, the right? right? Respect the culture. That's the word. That's that's the whole point. Pardon? Yeah, I mean, this this was a conciliation to the Jews, all right? And, and this 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 brings out a point, just a, a, a minor side point, is that sometimes when you're in leadership, you have a different standard than the average run-of-the-mill person, right? If you're the pastor of a church, you, you live to a higher standard. Now, technically, all of us should aspire to that standard, right? But But there is a different standard for those in leadership. You know, you have a higher responsibility. And in order to facilitate Timothy's ministry, Paul said, let's have you circumcised just so we don't freak out the Jews to whom that is a big thing. Because here's the point. If the Jews are automatically offended because of his lack of circumcision, there's no point in even trying to give them the gospel, right? Right. You don't even get your foot in the door. So what you need to do is... Be conciliatory. But did God ever make null and void uh, that uncircumcision for the Jews? Did he? That's a good question. Did he? What do you think? 
No. Did God ever take circumcision away from the Jews? You think? Uh, Should a Jew, a Christian, a Jewish person who's a Christian, should they be circumcised? Judaism is null and void or superseded. That sounds like a good paper topic. No, Sandy's asking the question. She says, just today. You know, like like today. Did, did God ever officially rescind the right? It's obvious God did not require the Gentiles to be circumcised, right? That's right. Well, so far we've seen that it's obvious God required that the Gentiles not be circumcised. Did he ever remove that restriction for the Jew? No. I can't remember. That's a good paper topic. I haven't thought about that. And it also and the law, still sets them apart from It's a good paper topic. I don't know. I know, but it's a hell of a thing. Right. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah. Christian Jews told me that a lot of the Christian Jews are thinking of going back because that sets them apart from the other nations. And they mm -hmm. still feel that God has called them to be separate. Well, in that in that respect, remember what it says in Ephesians, that God is now working through the church. That is his chosen people now. There's neither Jew nor Greek in the church. There's no doubt about that. But did God remove the circumcision restriction? I would argue that he did. Um, because, you know, in the body of Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek. I don't think that's relevant for today. Um you know, you're not you're not a Jewish Christian or a Gentile Christian. You're a Christian. Mm -hmm. You know, when it comes to Revelation for the 144,000, their heritage it has nothing to do with the physical right. That's a good. That's yeah. It's good. Yeah, They got black beards. You know. Um, and they, in verse 4, and as they went through the cities, they delivered them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So they're taking what the Jerusalem council had determined back to Iconium, Lystra, Derby, Antioch, right? <coughs> they're bringing this letter along with them. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. So what do you have going on? You have a growing church. And Paul most likely was encouraged as he went back through the areas that he'd been to to see that they're still standing firm in the faith. So what happens? Well, now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Asia would be where? East. East, northeast area. All right. Um, and then when they come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. Where's Bithynia? Well, if if you have the authorized John MacArthur Study Bible and the maps, I'm on verse six and seven. Okay. Bithynia is north. Asia is east. All right. They're in they're in Troas. All right. And you see them going through Phrygia. Phrygia is that eastern area there of Turkey. All right. And. Um, so they couldn't go east. They couldn't go north. They had just come from the south. So passing by Mysia, they came to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. 
a man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. What do we have here? The us passage, the we passage. Who's with them? Luke. So Luke is there. Notice what it says here. Verse 6. Now when they had gone, who's they? Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, when they had gone, they got there. So where, where did Luke probably meet up with this group? Probably in Troas, because now all of a sudden it's we. Now it's we. That this is this is this is number the number one rule of biblical interpretation observation. Remember, observe. Uh huh. Pardon. Observation. One of the keys of biblical interpretation is you spend a lot of time observing what is the text saying, what does it say, observing it. And uh, so he got the Macedonian call. So that's the Holy Spirit saying, go to Europe. Mm -hmm. Now, to get from where they are to go to Europe, they had to get on a boat. Because there's water in between. So selling from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace. And the next day came to Neapolis. That's where they landed up there in the Macedonian area. And from there, Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia. Colony. What is Philippi? Philippi is a is a major city. It's on the one, the major trade route. All right, and 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 that's one of the things to to realize as you might read when Paul goes from city to city to city. Understand the way he got from a city to a city is he walked along a road. The roads were maintained by the Romans. He created the Roman roads, and this was a major trade route. If you wanted to go from Rome to Asia, you went through Philippi. All right, that was a major trade route. And um, it was a, it was a very, it was a foremost city. It was a special city, a colony. Okay. The colony, um, it, it, it was a special designation given to a city. It was a free city, which basically meant, look, you guys, don't cause us any trouble. You can sort of govern yourselves. You know, we won't try to govern you. Rome said that. You know, you, govern, you, you can govern yourselves. You know, don't cause us any trouble. Don't have any insurrection. You can sort of do your own thing. Um, There's a taxation break on that. And uh, you could hold land. I mean, it was, it, was, it was a very important thing to be in one of these free cities. There's a great deal of freedom being there. Um, and uh, on a Sabbath day, they stayed there, and we were staying in that city for some days. What were they doing in the city in Philippi? Probably casing it out, right? And on a Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Where didn't they go? Yeah. Why wasn't there? Why didn't they go to the synagogue? Yeah, you need at least 10 Jewish men to have a synagogue. So what does that tell you about Philippi? There weren't 10 Jewish 
men. In fact, well, who was down at the riverside? Women. Women down at the riverside, and they were praying. That's where they customarily went. How did Paul know that? Well, you know, he's been around the city finding out where these people are at. Considering the fact that when Paul was converted, and he spent, what, about 10 years, maybe 11 or so, just growing, wouldn't you think by this time, though, Christianity would have spread to even Philippi? No. It was already in Rome. Well, you, you didn't have a church there, no, not right? A church, a there may have been a Christian hither and yon, um, hither and yon in, in that area. Um, there's no organized church, definitely. All right. But the women were down there praying. And uh, they were Jewish, okay? Now, a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira. Ah, where's Thyatira pop up? Revelation, one of the seven oh, cities. And where is Thyatira located? It's by Ephesus. All right, they're all not very far from Ephesus. And Thyatira was a, one of the major cities, and she was a seller of purple. Um, purple dye was extremely expensive in those days. It was very tough to get. And uh, so only the wealthy people wore purple because of the expense of the dye, <coughs> to get the dye. Um, but she was a seller of that. She was a businesswoman. And she worshipped God. So what does it mean that she worshipped God? Was she a believer? A Christian? No, she was a God-fearer. A God-fearer, like Cornelius. Um, and the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. Now, here's this is interesting. Remember, one of the things I, I've often said is that the doctrine of election and sovereignty of God is a root that goes throughout Scripture. No matter where you dig, you're going to hit it. And guess what? We hit it here. Why did Lydia believe? Why did she believe? From the eternal grand scheme of things, she's one of the elect. But in this passage, why does it say she believed? God opened her heart. And that's important to understand. God has to open the heart or you're talking to a brick wall when it comes to spiritual things. All right. God opened her heart. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you judge me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. She evidently had a household. She was probably somewhat wealthy, sort of atypical for those days. She was certainly middle class. A seller of purple meant that she would be traveling a lot. She's from Thyatira. She's up in Philippi. What's she doing there? Well, again, that's a major trade route. All right. That's, that's like taking the interstate. All right. Philippi, I don't was not. Philippi's up. Neapolis is the seaport. Okay. All right. If you look at your map, um, Neapolis is the seaport. Philippi's inland a bit. Inland a bit. Neapolis is really the seaport for Philippi. Philippi's up on the main road there. Um, and so she persuaded him to come and stay at her house. In those days. So evidently she had a somewhat sizable 
place to stay there, right? And it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination menace who brought her masters much money by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us. Remember the us passage? There's Luke there. And cried out saying, these men are the servants of the most high God who proclaimed us the way of salvation. She did this for many days. But Paul greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out of her that very hour. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. Here's the account of this woman with the spirit of divination. Now, she's following Paul around, us, basically, Paul, Luke, Timothy, and the group. We know at least there's Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke in this group, right? Right. And uh, they're being followed around by this girl, and she's giving them some free advertising, right? These are the servants of the Most High God. Listen to them. Now, how did Paul take that? Was she saying the truth? So why did he cast the demon out of her? Because he was a prophet for the other people. And he knew that she didn't know what she was talking about. Oh, she knew what she was talking about. From the because she was crediting their ministry. It was the demon in her speaking. The demon was. They come into agreement with that demon, then now they're saying that they are from that. You're awfully close to what's. You're close. You're getting the ball. Yeah. I love it. She she's 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 really close to what the deal is. Before before Paul and Silas showed up, and 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 Timothy and Luke showed up. If you were in this city and you had a problem, where did you go? To her. To her. Why? Because she has the spirit of divination in her, and you paid a little bit of money to the masters or whatever, and you got your your little prophecy or whatever it is. All right. When Paul, Luke, Silas, and Timothy leave, mm -hmm. and you have a problem, where are you going to go? Back to her. Back to her. Back to her. And if she is identifying and basically saying that these guys are the true prophets of God, what are you as an average pagan person going to think about the information you get from Paul and the information you get from her? It's the same. It's the same. <laughs> It's the same spirit operating. So why did Paul want to cast the demon out? I mean, there's a lot of reasons here. One, she's possessed by a demon. It's a bad thing. That's not good. Her, her, but, but, but the real issue here is that it has to do with spiritual deception. Paul knew that if nothing was done when he left, this demon would become the authority, okay. and when the demon became the authority, is the demon going to say, give people the truth or error? No, error. All the time. Error. <laughs> and what, what it was really, the demon was really trying to do was trying to ingratiate itself mm -hmm. with the ministry of Paul so that when Paul left, it would become the authority. Mm -hmm. Deception. Wow. Yes. Right. Did you see that? Huh? That's terrible. Yes. That's right. That's right. 
Because here's the, here's the thing. Satan will tell you the truth for a little while to sucker you in. And once he's got the hook set in you, you know, you're going to end up in the frying pan. All right. That's the way he works. And, and what was happening is by this woman bringing, although what she said was true. All right. She's trying to set herself up. The demon is as the spiritual authority. So when Paul and them leave, people will think that, hey, they're on the same page. And of course, then what's going to start happening? The error comes in. So when Paul cast the demon out here, not only was it to free the woman, not only was it because the demon was there, but the grander picture, too, is that he knew that when he left, who was going to be the authority? A demon. That's not a good thing. So he cast the demon out of this. And, of course, immediately the masters were all upset because, you know, their, their, their cash cow now was dead, right? No more money. So they got mad and dragged Paul and Silas and dragged him. What about what happened to Luke and Timothy? Absolutely. And why did he use the name of Jesus? That's his authority. He wasn't doing it in his own authority. He was doing it by the authority of Christ. But remember what it means in the name of Jesus. It's not the label. It's the it's the character. It's the authority. It's who that is. All right. It's not a magic spell. All right. You know, if I come to you and I say, you know, George wants me to do this. Yeah, right. But if it's signed by the George Bush, the president of the United States, that has a little bit more authority. Depending on what political party you're probably in. But but the whole point is that 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 the president, the office of a president carries with it authority. And if I'm an ambassador to another country, I'm not representing me. I'm representing my nation. All right. And that's when we say in the name of Christ, it's who he is. It's authority. It's his. It's him. It's not just, uh, like you said, a magic spell. And that's that's what Paul used there. In the authority and power of Jesus Christ, this demon was to be cast out. Mm -hmm. And, of well, course, the demon has no choice in that matter. Right. He's making a connection that... The power that cast this demon out was not him. Okay. Rather, it was Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. All right. It wasn't him. It wasn't his authority that did it. Okay. And, he's, and, and the people who heard that knew that. Because yeah. later on, we're going to run into the sons of Sceva. They're a pretty interesting lot. Remember yes. them? Yes. They said, well, let's use the name of Jesus thing to get these demons out. That works for Paul. And. Of course, the demon said, we know who Paul is and we know who Jesus is, but I don't know who you guys are. And they beat him up and ran out of the house naked, you know. I mean, it, and that goes, the name of Jesus is not a magic, you know, I command you in the name of Jesus, you know. That's not a magical formula. It's it's his character. It's who he is. And, of course, they were dragged to the marketplace. And they brought him to the magistrates and said, these men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city. Why is that a bad thing? Well, they were going to lose money, but if he troubles the city, 
right. you don't want to get Rome. You don't want to get Rome nervous. Oh, yeah. You really don't. You know, and the magistrates, you know, their problem is, you know, oh, we, we, the last thing we need is a riot here. That would really not go over well with the Roman government. They, so they pretty much would let the Jews start the, the falls and the silences do what they would do, but as long as they didn't yeah. the citizens Now, did they exceedingly trouble the city? No, no they just no. hit those people in the pocket, you know. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. So they're making them out to be Jews, teaching illegal things. Mm -hmm. This is all made up, right? <coughs> and the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. Mm -hmm. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into the prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. And having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fashioned their feet in the stocks. So... So not only were they beaten, they were thrown into prison. And not only in prison, they were put in solitary confinement in the inner prison. All right. And the jailers was given charge to them. Now, custom-wise in those days, what did that mean that they were put in charge of this jailer? His life was on the line. You didn't go to sleep on the job back then. If your prisoner escaped, you took his place. All right, you didn't, you you didn't, you didn't skate on this one. Yeah. <laughs> and so, how 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 securely do you think he put them in there? Oh. About as secure as he could, right? Yes, right. And their feet, their feet are in the stocks. They're they're you know they're confined in the inner prison and they're confined in a particular spot. They couldn't get out. Now, the average Christian would be doing what at this time? Praying. Call calling my attorney. Yeah, calling their attorney. Upset. God, what are you doing? Come on. I was doing the right. You know, what do you so, why, why do you let this happen to me? Or some of them would say, well, you know, if you just had faith, you wouldn't be in the spot you're in. You know, you shouldn't be in the jam you're in. You must not you must not have done God's well maybe we shouldn't have cast that demon out you know that sort of ticked them off probably we should have let that thing ride you know that's what the average how did Paul and Barn, how did Paul and Silas treat this they were doing their job that's the way it goes you know they weren't too upset about it they weren't calling their attorney they weren't threatening the Philippian jailer they were, they were going to sue him into the into the poorhouse they took it. But you would think that anybody would get sense now. If he could speak a word in the name of Jesus and the demons came out, what they think about the jail? It's irrational. People are irrational. I mean, stop and think about it. Caiaphas and said, we need to kill this guy. He said, wait a minute, guys. Isn't this the one who raised that guy down in name? Oh, what about Lazarus? Remember when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, what did they want to do? Kill him. Oh, sure. Look, you got to understand something about this. These people, the, the book of Romans is very clear. People suppress the truth. They hold it down. They don't want to know. Why is creationism such a, such a, such a, a big deal to the pagans out there? Why is it they cough up their skulls if you talk about, well, you know, just, just tell them that some people think God created the world. Oh, you can't say that in the classroom. What's so bad about that? 
Mm-hmm. And it's because they have a religion. They don't want the truth said. Why is it on? You know, I can be I can I can be the looniest Democrat on the planet, go to Oberlin College, be welcomed with open arms, and they got uh, five people in a, in a college Republican. You see that article? Yeah. The Oberlin College. There's like six or seven people, and every time they want to say anything, they want to shut them down and close them up and ship them off the campus. Like I thought, what happened to free speech? Well, there's no f- free speech, right? Thinking. You suppress the truth. Pleased to have at least a dialogue on this. Yeah, but, but, but some of them are just, and, and, and that's the way it is in the spiritual realm. People don't want the truth. No. They don't want it. it it's, it's a conscious decision to reject and suppress it. And you're sitting there saying, Judas, what's wrong with you? You watch this guy raise the dead, heal people, and your conclusion is you're going to sell him for 20 bucks? Twenty thirty pieces of silver was about $20. What is wrong with you? Right. And that's that's the problem here. You know, they're 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 blinded by their anger because their livelihood was taken away. They were sitting getting wealthy, you know, with this lady here. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Far from sitting there whining about how bad life was, which the average Christian would do, right? They, they didn't even consider that. They were singing and praising God. And by the way, they had just been beaten. That hurt, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. The point is, in, in Paul's mind, is silent. Absolutely. That's right. And he knew. And here's the thing. Paul never allowed his circumstances to ruin his perspective. And we do. There are Christians in a state of shock over the election. They, they're going to need therapy. Because. Y'all send him over to Seth. Because, you know, he likes this election. He's going to get some more new people coming in. Yeah. But, but the point is, what happened? We don't have a perspective. God is in charge. He's in control of all things. What happens, happens. And Paul didn't get hung up with, yeah, Paul didn't get hung up with what he was going through. That, that was part of, part of the course for him. And yet when we're persecuted, it's like, oh, what's God doing? Oh, I must be doing the wrong thing. No, you might be doing the right thing. You know, that's, yeah. But we're real bad about that. We are. And, and Paul, Paul is here saying, he said, you know, I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to worry about my circumstances. He was singing because he knew God was in charge. And suddenly what happened? God sent an earthquake. And the earthquake was so strong that not only did it, it, it the foundations of the prison were shaken, all the doors sprung open. And everyone's chains came loose. You know, chains were probably in the wall or something. They came loose. And and the keeper of the prison, waking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Not only did he have Paul and Silas in there, but probably some pretty bad apples in the prison there. Yeah, and he was going to kill himself. Because he knew that his life was forfeit. You know, it's well, well, I, an earthquake... No excuse. Those prisoners were in your charge. When was there ever an earthquake in 
Yeah, there were. Yeah. And Paul called a loud voice saying, don't do yourself harm. We're all here. Nobody's escaped. Think he had a sword yeah, he was going to kill himself. He was going to kill himself. Then he called for a light, ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out, out of what? The inner prison. And said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, you, you realize he didn't ask that question in a vacuum. Right? Why did he ask them that? He's heard what they've been singing. He's heard what they've been praying. He's heard what they've been saying in there. And he's saying, you know what? These are these guys are either absolutely nuts, because anybody that's been they would not be in there singing and praising God. They would be complaining and griping and whining or whatever. There's something. These guys are nuts, or they got something. But God had prepared this man's heart. And Paul said that great statement, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved in your house. What does it mean to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? It's more than just that mere statement, right? It's who Christ is. What did he do? Why did he come? And this guy may have heard them talking about that. All right. And they spoke the word of the Lord. And that's, this is where they filled it out. They spoke the word of the Lord to him. You know, again, the gospel has content. It's it's not, do you believe that uh, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life? Yep. Do you believe Jesus died for you? Yep. Do you believe he rose again? Yep. Did you ask him in your heart? Yep. You're saved. Is that all salvation is? Is that all the gospel is? No. Who is Jesus? What did he do? Why did he come? Repentance. Faith. All those are part of the gospel presentation. And it's very tough to walk into somebody who's never heard about Jesus in their entire life and in 15 minutes convert them. It doesn't work that way. That's why it takes time, preparation. And God had prepared this man's heart. And Paul preached the word of the Lord to him, and he took them the same hour of the night, washed their stripes, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. He doctored them up took care of their wounds, and said he and his family were saved. Now, by the way, this does not mean while the dad came to know the Lord, and automatically everybody else was saved. They all had to make a decision. But culturally in those days, culturally, the father is the one who's the head of the home, and people followed. All right? And when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. And those were said there, having believed in God. They were not... They were baptized because they believed in God and all his household. So the jailer took him home with him. Now, evidently, the rest of the prisoners were still in their prison, right? His boss is the Roman magistrates, the city officials. But he had other people working for him. He was the warden in charge. There were other people that worked there. In the prison. So they Pardon? No, it's Gentile. Okay. Why would they remember what Peter said back here when they asked him what shall we do to be saved? Yeah, it did. Okay. Remember, what we have here is we have an encapsulation. We don't have every single word that was said. 
All right. The short statement was, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved in your house. And then they went and they told him the content of what does it mean to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus? What did he do? He needed to have a little more information than probably the Jew did because they already had some concept. All right. But ultimately, you need to know who is Jesus? What did he do? All right. And it says here, and when it was day, the magistrates sent the officer saying, let those men go. So next day, they were going to let him out of the prison. And the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul, saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Now, therefore, depart and go in peace. And Paul said to them, they have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, and have thrown us into prison. And now do they put us out secretly? No, indeed. Let them come themselves and get us out. Now, now Paul was there. There is a way, there is a, a response for us as Christians. We're not doormats, right? Right. We're going to be beaten. We're going to be persecuted. But that doesn't mean you just roll over and play dead. You know, if, if you have a constitutional right, exercise it. Paul, as a Roman, had a right to appeal to Nero. That was a right. He had, and he used it. Right. Um, and here's the thing you got to understand culturally. It was illegal. It was a brief, It was extremely illegal to beat a Roman or to punish a Roman without due process. What did they magistrates think Paul and Silas were? Jews. They were non-Roman citizens. Paul is saying, "I'm a Roman citizen." Presumably, Paul could have put a stop to the beating. He probably couldn't get a word in edgewise. Because of the rabble. I think it was a mob. All right. It was a mob scene. You didn't think he had a point to make? Or, uh, I don't know. Maybe ask Paul when we get to heaven. I don't know why he didn't initially tell them. But but here he certainly says, listen, I'm a Roman citizen. It's illegal for you to beat a Roman citizen without due process. Now, they could do that. But they had to be due process. There had to be a trial. There had to be you know, a process you go through. They didn't, this was mob rule basically here. And the magistrates were way out of line. If Rome got wind that they beat a Roman citizen unjustly, they could be in deep trouble with Rome. I mean, Rome was very particular legally about their citizens. You know, he, I mean, it was a great privilege to be a citizen of Rome. It was something that, that like the one guy said, I bought my citizenship for a great price. You know, it was a very special thing. Um, and he said, "No, let them come and get us. They put us in here, and they're not going to—they're not going to shuffle us out of town secretly." Paul wanted justice to be done, and the officers told these words to the magistrates. They were afraid because they were Romans. That's because they could be in deep, 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 deep trouble for doing that. Is the magistrate like the mayor? Yeah, it's like the mayor, the ruling people there. And see, they had certain, you know, Roman basically, there's, there's a, there were stipulations for, for being a free city. You could have your magistrates, you could do your own thing, but you can't, you know, when it comes to our, our Roman citizens, you can't beat them without due process. You can't deprive them of property without due. Now, if they're not a citizen, you know, that they didn't care that much. But if you're a Roman citizen, it was, there are certain things you couldn't do. Um, Roman citizens were, it's, it was illegal to crucify a Roman citizen. All right. And 
he was a Roman citizen because he was born in a Roman born, colony. Yes, he was and, born in, there were certain cities, if you were born in those, you were a citizen by birth. And that, Antioch was one of them. Was one of them. And where was Silas from? I don't know. But Paul was certainly a Roman citizen. And it was seen to him here that Silas was too. Antioch. Or Tar Paul of Tarsus wasn't Tarsus. I'm sorry, Tarsus was a was a colony. There weren't a lot of these cities, but but it was a great privilege to be born in one because that made you a citizen. And they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart the city. So they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. When they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. So they they left the city, but they made the magistrates own up to what they had done. All right, so. This is the Philippian jailer. All right. And um, what you see here, the, the thing you see, and this is what you're going to find with Paul. Paul never got too excited about the circumstances he was in, right? Philippians, what did he say? I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to live high on the hog. I know how to have nothing. Um, beans and rice. Um, he he knew how to live his life, and he and the circumstances didn't bother him because he realized God was sovereign over his circumstances. And folks, that's something that we need to learn sometimes. We get so knocked off our kilter about things that might happen in the world. We we didn't we need to do that. What kind of testimony is that? You know, you place you place your faith in mankind, you're going to be disappointed every time. Every single time. Um, Paul didn't get excited about this stuff. He saw God's hand in his life and whatever God desired and had him do, that's what he did. And he didn't worry too much about it. Yep. Now, what you want to make sure of is that you are doing God. You know, if you're an idiot or you're out of line or you, you know, you, you, you cause trouble and you get persecuted for it, don't go blaming God on that one. All right. Um, you know, I've known Christians that, that are obnoxious or they're, you know, they, 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 they do sinful things and they have a little bit of heat for it. And they're talking about, oh, I'm being persecuted by, by the, uh, no, you're not, you're just, being slapped around because you're an idiot. I mean, you know, if you're an idiot, and that's what Peter says, right? If you suffer as a Christian, don't make sure you're not a thief or an evildoer or a busybody. The word for busybody there is political agitator. Oh, really? Political agitator. No, it's a political agitator, someone who stirs things up. He says, if you're if you're one of those people who has to stir things up and you're getting slapped around a little bit for it, yeah. don't go don't go talking about how God, how God's behind that. That's you. But if you're suffering as a Christian because you're being a godly example, that that's the persecution you want. Yeah. 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 What's this group that tickets? Fallen soldiers in Iraq. What's the name of that group? I don't know. The point is, like and what you find in, in Peter, you know, particularly his use of that word, he doesn't want Christianity to become a political movement. 
Um, we're not a political movement. Because, you know, what? it doesn't matter who's in the White House, we can't govern ourselves. You understand? You realize that the humans can't govern ourselves? We can't govern ourselves? We can't. You can't. It doesn't matter who's in there. Um, God chooses who's going to put in there anyways. And if you read... Uh, if you read um, what Nebuchadnezzar said in Daniel 4, it's usually the basis of men. He doesn't pick the best. He picks the worst usually. They're the ones that wind up in Congress and everywhere else. Um, the, the whole point there is Paul did not get too excited about his circumstances. Whatever God put him in, that's where he was. And he wanted to, what, he, he used that as an opportunity, whatever that forum was, to be a Christian. And God honored that. Chapter 17, we'll work our way down here a little bit. When they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, those are Roman provinces. You can read about those. They came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Um, so far, they're in Roman territory. In Thessalonica, they finally find a synagogue. And Paul, as his custom was, went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures. Why did he go to the synagogue in Thessalonica? Because they had one. The other cities didn't. All right. Explaining and demonstrating that Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead, saying, This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Jews, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. So there was a few people that believed. Paul went in, and for three, sun, three Sabbaths, three Saturdays, he reasoned with them in the synagogue. And what started happening as he reasoned, there's some people that believe. Mainly who? Greeks. Greeks. The Grecians. Not the Jews. Were there some Jews that became Christians? Sure, but not a lot of them. All right. But the Jews who were not persuaded became envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathered a mob, set all the city in uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. So the Jews who are not believing because they don't want to believe, because God did not open their heart, so they follow their own natural inclination of rebellion. How did they deal with Paul and Silas? They did they try to win in the in the theater of ideas? No, let's just beat them up. So what did they do? They went down to the marketplace and who did they get? They got the Crips and the Bloods to come out and help them out. All right. They went down to the marketplace and got the baser fellows. Those are the thugs down in the marketplace, the goons. And they brought them up there to try and intimidate Paul. And, and they stirred the whole city up and got everybody all in an uproar over Paul and Silas. Well, then I find them. Notice here's the them passage. Verse 17, in chapter 17, verse 1, they... So we're now back to the they passage. And they didn't find Paul and Silas at Jason's house. That's evidently where they were staying. They dragged Jason and some of the brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These have turned the world upside down, have come here too. And Jason. From and why? Well, of course it did. Why did okay. it? Why? It was the highways. Was the highways. Anybody passing through Philippi would know what happened. You know. And they, that spread quickly throughout the Roman Empire. But Jason has harbored them, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there's another king, Jesus. 
So what are they trying to make them out to be? Insurrectionists. Now, what is, is it true that they believe Jesus was a king? Yeah. Sure, but not of this world. But see, the pagans who hated them would put words in their mouth to try and discredit them, cause trouble. And that troubled the crowd and the rulers of the sea when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The idea there is when they heard these things, why would it cause them trouble? Well, Thessalonica had a certain amount of freedom. And the whole idea there is in Rome, look, if you don't rock the boat, you're fine. You start rocking the boat, the legions come in, and that's all she wrote. You know, they, they were, Rome did not want to deal with any kind of insurrection. They had, they had slowly conquered it over time. Yeah. The Roman armies had had done that. And why did they do that? Because God gave them the sovereignty over that area of the land. Basically, when they conquered the Grecian Empire, they took over that, that part. And, uh, you know, Egypt was Rome's breadbasket. Egypt, Egypt is where Rome got its grain to feed most of its people. Um, and you've got the whole... You know, Cleopatra and Antony and all that other kind of stuff. That's all based on historical fact. But Rome was the was the rising power from Cyprus and with their their navy and that they became a rising power and and basically conquered these lands. And in a, in BC 70, um, they took they they this um, took place in the uh, or took an arbitration role in disputing the uh, the Hasmone There's a Jewish factions fighting for power. And Rome arbitrated that and basically began to weasel their way into the power. And that's that's how they basically, it's it's over a period of centuries they, they took that. It was it was a large, and, and you know, it was it was not bad in Rome. I mean, they, they really did um, keep the peace, you know, and, and that. Um, see, we one of our difficulties here is that probably everybody in this room, we've never known war. You know, we don't know what it's like to every 10 years have a new army come through your your town and burn it to the ground. We've never had to deal with it. That, that was that was life back then. Um, very rarely in human history was there times of significant peace. Rome did bring peace. You know, if anything, they brought a certain level of peace and, and, and order. Um, but it was over time that they, they, they acquired this. Um, but the Thessalonican rulers were really upset because the last, I mean, they're on the main highway, right? So it's not going to take long for news to get out of there to Rome. Wait a minute, what's those people at Thessalonica doing harboring a group that, that advocates another king, Caesar? What, that really made them nervous. All right. So what did they do? They took a, they took a bail of Jason. Because Jason wasn't doing it, right? What was Jason's part in this? He was just housing them. He, he, he wasn't being blamed for this. He was just housing them. Then the brother immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. So stop and think about it. how long were they in Thessalonica? Three, three Sabbaths. You know, three weeks. 
And the church at Thessalonica was born in those three weeks. All right. Um, and how do we know, you know, what kind of church was this, the Thessalonian church? It's a faithful church, right? Read 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians. Paul wrote that letter back to them shortly after his visit here. Now, if we, if we understand Paul's writings, what's the only book he possibly would have written at this time? The only letter. No, not yet. Which one of his epistles would he have written at this time? Galatians. That would have been the only one. He had not yet written the other ones yet. He's not gotten there yet. So he goes down to Berea, and when he they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews like he always does. And said so these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. What was the difference between the Bereans and the Thessalonians? Checked it out. Paul came in and said, you know, your Old Testament church says blah, 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 blah. And they say, well, let's go look at that up and see. And they were commended by this. Now, some of the false prophets on the TV today say the Bereans were horrible people because they did not take the word of the prophet. I'm not making that up. Um, they said they were they were not they were they said the Bereans were horrid because they should have just listened to Paul and believed him and not looked taken his word for it. Well, here they are commended for what? For checking it out. Look, look, folks. God wants you to check it out. Don't let any don't let a talking head tell you what to believe. Go figure it out for yourself. Compare what they say. And I don't care who it is. You should get to the point in your spiritual life where you don't care who it is. Check it out for yourself from the word of God. Compare what they say with scripture. And don't fall in this trap of touch not the Lord's anointed. And don't fall in this trap of, well, you're not allowed to question the prophet. Don't, don't fall into that. We have the word of God. And by the way, even in the Old Testament, when a prophet came into town, what was he measured against? What God had revealed. There was never a case in the Old Testament where God told people just shut up and listen to the guy and do what he says. They were always encouraged to compare it. And if you came into town and you made a prophecy and it didn't come true, you were stoned. That was the end of it. When God said that's not my anointed, was he talking about his king? He's talking about the king. He's not talking about the prophet. They rip that out of context. They want to create a they want to create an impervious anti-criticism shield. You know, you're not allowed to criticize them. Look. Compare it with scripture. Yeah, that that was talking about, you know, touch not the Lord's anointed refers to God's God's a king. You know, it had nothing to do with don't question the preacher. I know that. That's not what it says. Because Paul later on in Thessalonians says, test everything. Hold fast to that what is good, abstain from all appearance of evil. What does it mean to test everything? What do you test it with? With the word of God. 
And that's all I'm encouraging. You know, again, 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 in class, I'm not encouraging you to walk out here and believe everything I say because I said it. Compare it with Scripture. And if Scripture and I disagree, I'm wrong. That's it. And do that with any of your preachers. You know, don't don't take their word for it. The Bereans did the noble thing. Why? Paul came in and brought this new, seemingly contradictory idea, but they listened and they checked it out. They were searching the scriptures. Therefore, many of them believed. And also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. And what was the difference between the Bereans and the Thessalonians? And the makeup? In the Thessalonian case, how many Jews were believers? Not a lot, if any. They were mainly what? Greeks. And, and the prominent women. Here, what do you have? A lot of the Jews. And, by the way, there are some Greeks that believe too. And why did these Jews believe? They searched the scripture. Yeah. There were, but, but the emphasis here is on many of the Jews believed, and also quite a few of the Greeks. But here you have Jews coming to be believers, unlike what you have in Thessalonica. And the difference is they listened to what the Word of God said. They searched the Scriptures daily. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the Word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, they came there and stirred the crowds up. And immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to the sea, but both Paul and Silas remained there so that those who conducted Paul brought them to Athens and receiving command for Silas and Timothy to come to him with all speed, they departed. So what happens here is that Paul's down in Berea. Now how did, how did the, the Jews at Thessalonica hear about what was going down in Berea? Yeah. You, have, you have major roads. You have a major road that comes through the northern part there that goes goes all over to Rome. And then there's a spur that goes down from Thessalonica. It goes down and hits Berea and makes its way down to Athens and down to Corinth. All right, that's one of the major trade route arteries. So you got a, you got a major road that goes down from Berea that, that connects Berea to Thessalonica. All right. And they and of course some people you know traveling along say hey here you hear what's going on and of course the Jews up in Thessalonica freak out so they send some people down to cause trouble and stir them up and what does Paul and Silas do well, they want to send them off to sea but where do they go they go down to Athens instead so it says here immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to sea. Both Paul and Silas remained there. Where's there? There in that place. And they conducted Paul to Athens. And when they got down, they received a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him with all speed. He sent them back to tell Silas and Timothy to come and meet him in Athens. So Paul was by himself in Athens, starting in verse 16. Where's Timothy and Silas? Well, they're not with Paul. They're up. Yeah, back in, well. Yeah. 
And, and it's possible that, and, and by the way, we do know this from later on, Paul does send Timothy back to where? To Thessalonica. He sends them back to Thessalonica to see how they're doing. All right? Yeah. So let's pick that up next week. The philosophers in Athens. Yep. Yep. I mean, they're just hounding this guy. No matter where he goes, he's got these Jews following him, causing trouble. And stop, well, stop and think about it. Stop, stop and think about this. When Christ was on the earth, who did who get the stiffest resistance from? The religious crowd. The religious crowd. And if you go out to the internet and you do some research on some of the vitriol coming from certain Christian groups, you know, they're worse than the pagans. You know? Sometimes I also want to deal with a Muslim extremist than a fundamental Baptist. Westboro Baptist. Fundamental Baptist. Westboro Church, I was just reading about there. They picket funerals. Of the military. Military funerals. That's They wanted to picket the funeral of those Amish children. Yeah. That's what we should Why? But yeah, well, I'm glad they know what God thinks. Yeah. Well, let's pray. Father, thanks for this time, for the time in your word. I pray that you help us to remember it. Thanks for our discussion, for this wonderful time we have sharing together. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening. This podcast was made in part with creative consulting and production assistance by Third Mass Studio. For your production needs, send an email to thirdmassstudio at gmail.com. For other lectures in this series and more biblical media resources, visit theopenword.org.